You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. The argument of Revelations chapter 1 through chapter 11, verse 14. A synthetic view of the rapture comprised of the explicit biblical elements of pre-, mid-, and post-tribulationalism requires a rapture that follows the beginning of an unparalleled or unexampled time of persecution of the saints by Satan but occurs before the unexampled time of punishment of the wicked by God. A rapture that follows the beginning of the wrath of Satan and his Antichrist, but precedes the wrath of God and his Lamb, places clear parameters on the book of Revelation. The key to finding the rapture in the Revelation is distinguishing between the wrath of God and his Lamb and the wrath of Satan and his Antichrist. At first glance, this might seem impossible, but a closer look at the Revelation reveals just the opposite in our opinion. Since the rapture is not explicitly identified in the Revelation about Christ, we have to use all of those parameters or language that indicates something similar but not necessarily explicit. Therefore, the first thing we have to do if we're going to identify what passage or passages in the revelation about Jesus Christ give us the clearest hint of an actual ethereal reunion of believers with the Lord Jesus of what is commonly called the rapture. Again, I say that a key to finding the rapture in the Revelation is distinguishing between the wrath of God and his Lamb, and when it begins, and the wrath of Satan and his Antichrist when it ends. Our first glance at this, I believe, we find way back in the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel. Now, a reading of Daniel chapter 7, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and vision of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote, down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked and its wings were plucked off. It was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. 
it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird in its mouth. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth, and it devoured and broke in pieces and trampled what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, they came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. And as I looked, the thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. And I looked, and, he says, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, its body destroyed, given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, which their dominion was taken away, but they, their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all the people, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me, was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about, ten, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. 
Then he says, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it in pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Because Daniel 7 includes both the vision and its interpretation, we are easily able to understand the sequence of events. The order of events is there are four distinct beasts, kings, and kingdoms will arise from the sea. The first beast, a lion with eagle's wings that become a man, the Babylonian Empire. The second beast, a bear that devours much with three ribs in its mouth, the Medo-Persian Empire. The third beast, a leopard with four bird wings and four heads, the Greek Empire. And the fourth beast, strong iron teeth monster with ten horns, the Roman Empire. The fourth beast will be followed by a ten king confederation. The ten king confederation will be followed by an eighth king federation. The Eighth King Confederation will be led by a blasphemous man for three and a half years. The Ancient of Days takes his seat. The court will sit in judgment with open books. The beast is killed, its body destroyed and burned with fire. The Son of Man comes with the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days and is presented. The Son of Man receives dominion and a kingdom. The fulfillment of the first three kingdoms in Daniel's dream guarantees the complete fulfillment of the fourth. The extensive details, the multi-phase chronology, and its termination by a supernatural being establish the fourth kingdom's uniqueness. Since the revelation about Christ concerns the termination of the fourth kingdom, and the subsequent kingdom of the Son of Man, we are right to expect a close parallelism between Daniel 7 and the revelation about Christ. The book of Revelation is an expanded explanation of the fulfillment of the fourth kingdom of Daniel 7. The first three chapters of the Revelation follow a simple sequence. The introduction of the Son of Man is the focus of chapter 1. As the Ancient of Days appears in splendor, so does the Son of Man. 
chapters 2 through 3 answer the question, Who are the saints of the Most High? Of course, mentioned in Daniel 7. Like Daniel 7, the kingdom con constituents of Revelation 2 and 3 have the opportunity to reign with the Son of Man. Seven churches receive specific instructions concerning their opportunity to become overcomers. It is to the overcomers that significant promises are made relative to the sharing of the leadership of the coming kingdom. Revelation chapter 4 opens with a magnificent scene in heaven. God the Father is presented seated on a throne. Three circles of influence are stated. In the first circle are four living creatures that maintain a continuous chorus, holy, holy, holy. In the next circle of influence are 24 elders who are sitting on 12, 24 thrones. At some point, the four living creatures will interrupt their chorus and begin to give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne. When they do, they will cause the 24 elders to fall before the throne sitter, casting their crowns at his feet and praising his mighty works. This is, one, this is a one-time event since it is inconceivable that the 24 elders will cast their crowns at the feet of the throne sitter, worship him, then get up, pick up their crowns, only to do it again and again and again. This event involving the casting of the crown must, must be a one-time event. The throne sitter, the Ancient of Days, taking his seat inaugurates a whole host of events. The timing of the events of Revelation 4 does not seem to accord with the timing indicated in Daniel 7 regarding the Ancient of Days taking his seat. Revelation 5 opens with the throne sitter presented in chapter 4 holding a book in his right hand. We cannot fully appreciate this chapter without understanding the great length the text goes to properly introduce the next main character, the Lamb. When the strong angel asks the question about who can break the seal, the seals and open the book, every indication is that no one is worthy to open the book. This is hyperbole. The angel states no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book the book. Then, of course, one has to ask, where is Jesus? Not in heaven, not on earth, not on the earth. Well, then, where is he? After a period of weeping because no one is found to open the book, John is told to stop weeping because the lion that is from the tribe of Judah has overcome to open the book and its seven seals. A change from the lion metaphor to a lamb finds the lamb standing before the four living creatures and the throne. The lamb takes the book, which initiates a series of praise and worship chants, 
to the throne sitter by the 24 elders, the four living creatures, and the myriads of angels. The position and action of the Lamb establishes His importance. His holiness is unquestionable because He stands closer to the throne sitter than those assigned to protect His holiness. The action of taking the book indicates a compatibility unparalleled in the universe. Chapter 6 details the events inaugurated by the breaking of the seven seals on the outside of the book that was in the right hand of the throne sitter. The first four seals are distinct from the final three. The first four seals authorization unleashes escalating death upon the earth. The first seal authorizes a conqueror to go forth upon the earth. The conqueror cannot go forth until the lamb breaks the first seal. The second seal involves the escalation of war. The third seal authorizes a great famine on the earth. The voice from the center of the four living creatures can be one of two individuals, either God the Father or God the Son. The famine will affect the barley wheat harvest, but not the grape olive harvest. The fourth seal authorizes a fourth of the earth to fall under the authority of death. Understand, the right to, to kill and killing are not the same. It does not mean that one-fourth of the earth will die, only that death has absolute power over a fourth of the earth. The executors of death are the sword, famine, pestilence, and beast. After seal four, the similarity between the first four seals and the final three seals end. The fifth seal reveals martyrs in heaven. John presents non-resurrected individuals killed because of their commitment to God. These faithful martyrs evidence a lack of knowledge concerning God's timing. Particularly, they ask, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? This question is critical for determining a key issue, the beginning of the wrath of God and his Lamb, against those who dwell on the earth. The question of martyrs presupposes that God has not that God's wrath has not begun. His revenge on the earth dwellers for their evil deeds, murder, has not begun. The answer to their question is rather probative. God instructs the non-resurrected martyrs to rest a while longer until the remaining number of those who are to be martyred are finished. Now, based on this exchange between God and the non-resurrected martyrs under the altar in heaven, it is clear in our estimation that the wrath of God against the earth dwellers has not begun. Because once it does, it seems that there will have, the earth dwellers will have little time to pursue the death course of all of those who are not a part of their group. The fifth seal establishes that the earth dwellers have yet to begin experiencing the test 
the Philadelphia church was promised they would escape in Revelation 3.10. Whereas the fifth seal requests the pouring out of God's wrath, the sixth seal announces that his wrath is imminent. The sixth seal has two parts. The first part highlights the cosmic disturbances that pretend the arrival of the wrath of God. The second half details the response of the earth dwellers to the imminent arrival of the wrath of God. The cosmic disturbances combine to signal a universal blackout. With all light sources rendered dark, the sky will open up allowing a clear view to the throne room of God in heaven. With the apparent visible manifestation of God's throne itself, the earth dwellers will seek a hiding place from the presence of God. It is not just death they seek, but to be hidden from God's very view. Their complaint is the presence of the throne sitter and the wrath of the Lamb because their wrath has come. The earth dwellers have been exposed to the glorious manifestation of God which significantly undermines their self-appreciation. This is the fulfillment of the gospel of God. This is the second mention of God's wrath in the book with respect to the earth dwellers. The fifth seal requested God's wrath against the earth dwellers. The sixth seal announces its imminent arrival and the seventh seal describes its actual falling on the earth in the form of six trumpets. However, before God's wrath actually falls on the earth, two significant events receive attention in the seventh chapter of Revelation. The seventh chapter of Revelation throws the spotlight on two groups delivered prior to the actual fall of God's wrath. The first group receives protection on earth. The second group receives an evacuation into the heavens where there appears to be an ethereal reunion. The first group receives protection from the harm about the fall on the earth from the angels granted permission to harm the earth. Bond servants of God, 12,000 from 12 of the 14 tribes of Israel, is the identity assigned to this first group. Now the term bondservant is used in the New Testament to describe a person who sees himself as the property of another. At issue is whether these Jews are born-again messianic faithful or orthodox Jews following the Mosaic law. I don't think one can be dogmatic either way given the amount of information that is given. The second group highlighted in this chapter is a universally saved, innumerable multitude caught up to heaven. Unlike the non-resurrected questioners of the fifth seal, the universally innumerable multitude is in bodies. They are standing, clothed in robes, palm branches in their hands. The sheer numbers of this multitude preclude any other group other than the saints of all the previous ages, in my opinion. 
John is not playing with words in the text. This is not word salad here. The multitude is without a number. The multitude ethnically represent the entire earth. To limit this group to individuals connected with the tribulation, in our opinion, is a serious departure from the author's intent. So as to clear up any confusion about the identity of the universally saved innumerable multitude, John is questioned. The angel asked John two questions. That is, who are the universally innumerable multitude, and from whence have they come? John receives the answer to the questions in reverse order. John is made to understand that they did not come from a place, but a time. These are the ones who come as a group out of the Great Tribulation is what John hears. In two other passages that speak of this time period, Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 and Matthew chapter 24 verse 21, a time receives the emphasis rather than a place. It is during the great tribulation this multitude will arrive in heaven. The angel also tells John whom, who the multiple multitude is. They are the saved of the ages. Just as we should expect, immediately following God's faithful deliverance of his elect, he sends his wrath against the wicked. The eighth chapter of Revelation details the fall of God's wrath. As the seals separated out four and three, so will the trumpets. The first four trumpets are distinct from the remaining three trumpets. To establish that the wrath of God in connection with the trumpets is a response to the prayers of the saints, chapter 8 opens with a scene in heaven. This flows out of the scene in chapter 6, where souls under the altar are requesting God to pour out his wrath against the earth dwellers. The prayers of the saints directly influence God's actions toward the wicked. The first trumpet destroys a third of the earth's land mass. The second trumpet destroys a third of the earth's saltwater ships. The third trumpet destroys a third of the earth's freshwater sources. The fourth trumpet brings the destruction of a third of the sun moon. The first four trumpets affect nature with not much direct destruction of mankind. Chapter 8 ends with a three-woe pronouncement by an angel in mid-heaven. The woes are bad news for the earth dwellers. The fifth trumpet is directed by an angel from heaven. He unleashes locust-like creatures from the abyss whose job it is to torment mankind for five months. Their torment is excruciating, but does not produce death or the physical destruction of the earth. The king of the locust-like creatures is the destroyer. Every indication is that the king of the locust-like creatures is the angelic destroyer 
found in the Old Testament. Revelation 9 verse 12 explicitly identifies the fifth trumpet as the fulfillment of the first woe pronounced in Revelation chapter 8 verse 13. The reader should be immediately struck by the intensity of the fifth trumpet in contradistinction to the first four trumpets. Only the God-marked worshipers are free from the five months of torment that come as a result of the fifth trumpet. This is by far the worst expression of God's wrath to fall on mankind, and yet there remain two trumpets. The sixth trumpet judgment moves from physical torment to physical death. Four predestined angelic beings are released from their imprisonment at the great river Euphrates to lead an army of 200 million horsemen with the stated purpose of killing one-third of mankind. Fire, smoke, and brimstone are the weapons of choice. Scripture declares that those not killed by these three plagues refuse to repent of their deeds. Listed among the deeds of the wicked is the worship of demons. In my opinion, this argues strongly against identifying the locust-like creatures or the horsemen of the sixth trumpet as demons. It is difficult to see men worshiping demons if those very demons are persecuting mankind to the degree described in the fifth and sixth trumpets. The tenth and eleventh chapter of the Revelation conclude the first half of John's presentation. The tenth chapter of the Revelation is a very important pivot chapter. It will conclude the first half of the book prophetically. One should pay close attention to the textual details presented. The significance of the second half of the book of Revelation will not have its proper appreciation unless chapter 10 is fully understood. Chapter 10 begins with the first of three important announcements of events terminated with the completion of the sixth trumpet, which is the second woe, so says Revelation chapter 11, verse 14. Chapter 10 announces the completion of God's special work in Jesus Christ among the Gentiles. In connection with the termination of God's work among the Gentiles is the termination of punishment of Abraham's seed. Israel, national Israel. Revelation 11, 1 through 13 focuses attention on God's prophetic witnesses to Israel. Revelation 11 concludes with the sounding of the seventh trumpet, which announces God's reclamation of the earth, which terminates Satan's dominion over the earth. The tenth chapter opens with another strong angel coming down out of heaven. His appearance is reminiscent of Jesus Christ, which heightens the significance of this angelic being. Three strong angels appear in the book of Revelation. The first strong angel appears in connection with the large scroll of Revelation 5. 
The second strong angel appears in Revelation 10 in connection with the little scroll. The third strong angel appears in Revelation chapter 18 verse 21 in relation to the destruction of the great city. In each case, a strong angel reveals the will of God concerning actions about to be taken at God's command. The strong angel of the 10th chapter roars, which received a response from the seven peals of thunder. Heavenly voices instruct John not to write the utterances of the seven peals of thunder. The strong angel follows with a proclamation authorized by the throne sitter, that there shall be delay no longer. This makes sense in light of the promise from God in Revelation chapter 6 to the fifth seal martyrs. There God promised to punish the earth dwellers for their part in the death of his faithful. The specific punishment of the earth dwellers delayed to allow the number of martyrs decreed to be killed to be fulfilled will follow in the seventh trumpet. One can assume that death for God's elect has continued up to this point. The strong angel adds a final note of importance. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished. Two important chronological sequences are explicitly identified in this key phrase. When he is about to sound indicates the relationship of these events to the actual seventh trumpet. A program of God comes to completion just before the sounding of the seventh trumpet. The name of that program gives us another chronological indicator. The program is the mystery of God. There are two other occurrences of this phrase in the New Testament. Debate centers on the first occurrence. Some manuscript evidence indicate that this phrase occurs in 1 Corinthians 2.1. The context makes clear that God's special work in Jesus Christ is the focus of the text. There is no doubt about the occurrence of this phrase in the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through chapter 2, verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery of God, which has been hidden from the past ages and generation, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of, the myst of this mystery of God among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, that your hearts may be encouraged, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself.
In Colossians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul declares the word of God, which he preaches to be a mystery. This mystery is so rich with glory that God desires to make it known to the saints. He states, the mystery is Christ in you, Gentiles, the hope of glory. Again, in Colossians 2, Paul states, Jesus Christ is the mystery of God. An obvious question concerns whether these two occurrences refer to the same thing. The context indicates that Jesus Christ is the primary focus of the first two chapters of Colossians. His special work among Gentiles is Paul's primary concern. The particular passage quoted above could be summarized as follows. Paul preaches Christ among the Gentiles because God has a plan to present many Gentiles in glory when Christ returns. So the mystery of God is God's special work in Christ to bring Gentiles to glory. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 1 verse 9 and 10, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he proposed in Christ to put into effect when the time will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. When the mystery of God, God's special work in Christ to bring Gentiles to glory, is finished, then God will bring all things in heaven and on earth together on the one head. And that one head is the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Peter states in Acts chapter 15, verses 14 to 16, that God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And after these things, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David. This passage establishes a very important connection between God's special work in Christ to bring Gentiles to glory and Israel's restoration. Similarly, Romans chapter 11, verse 25 through 26 states that the mystery of Israel's partial hardening will continue until the fullness of the Gentile has come in, and so all Israel will be delivered. This passage highlights two facts. First, God has determined a specific number of Gentiles to be saved, and second, the completion of the salvation of the Gentiles will lead to the salvation of national Israel. However, because of Daniel chapter 9 verse 24, we know that the salvation of national Israel cannot occur until the completion of Daniel's 70th week. The 490 year plus delay that Israel is currently suffering under will be removed at the end of Daniel's 70th week which coincides with God's removal of Gentile dominance over Israel and Jerusalem. Therefore, the mystery of Israel's partial hardening and the mystery of God, God's special work in Christ to bring Gentiles to glory, are intricately tied together. One directly affects the other. Once God's special work in Christ to bring Gentiles to glory is finished, God extends salvation to national Israel. Therefore, the sixth trumpet must end the seventh week of Daniel, 
which coincides with the completion of the mystery of God, which initiates the events that constitute the 75-day period that immediately follows Daniel's 70th week. So, see, so says Daniel chapter 12. With the completion of God's mystery, God's special work in Christ to bring Gentiles to glory will come the salvation of national Israel. God's rule over physical earth reclaimed and consequently the cessation of the delay of God's judgment on the living earth dwellers. After the strong angel's declaration, the heavenly voice instructs John to take the small book out of the strong angel's hand and eat it. Since John is dead and the small book was eaten, it is obvious that these events will not be repeated during the actual fulfillment of the revelation. The events shared in Revelation 10 are purely for the reader's information. The chapter ends with instructions to John. You must prophesy again against many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. This verse indicates a clear break in the sequence of the book of Revelation. John's first series of prophecies are finished. He will now undertake to prophesy again. But the focus of his prophecies will be peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Who are these people groups and why does John prophesy against them? These questions lie at the heart of Revelation chapter 11 through chapter 19, which we shall examine. Within days of the sounding of the seventh and final trumpet comes the end of God's special work among the Gentiles. This announcement is declared in Revelation 10. The end of God's special work among the Gentiles also makes possible the end of his discipline of national Israel, having been locked in blindness for 2,000 years. Revelation 11, chapter 11, verse 1 to 13 summarizes that the ministry of God's two prophetic witnesses who prophesy in Jerusalem for 1260 days or 42 months or time times and half a time, that the presentation of the ministry of the two prophetic witnesses occurs at this point because of their ministry culminates at the same time God's special work among Gentiles does and it introduces the reason for God's displeasure with the people's nations, tongues, and kings. The ministry of the two prophetic witnesses coincide with the final phase of God's of Gentile domination. Since the final phase of Gentile dominance will be the worst persecution of God's people will have ever experienced, in mercy, God provides a delimiter for his people, the two prophetic witnesses. They will severely limit the capacity and capabilities of the beast. Chapter 11 begins with John receiving instruction to measure the temple, the altar, and those who worship in it. However, the courtyard, which is outside the temple, is not measured. Gentiles, the nations, 
having divine permission to disregard God's right to the Temple Mount. This is one reason John will prophesy against the nations. John has yet to tell us exactly how the Gentiles will show disdain for God's dwelling place. John also indicates that God has placed a time limit on the Gentiles' note of occupancy, 42 months, which is three and a half years. This 42-month time frame is an immediate clue that signals prophetic fulfillment. The ministry of the two prophetic witnesses has a duration of 1,260 days, which coincides with the reign of the beast, which lasts 42 months. The two prophetic witnesses are given the ability to kill any and all who would attempt to prevent their ministry on the earth. They can kill with, the f with fire. They can shut up heaven and prevent rain from falling on the earth. They can turn water to blood, devastate the earth with plagues, and this as often as they desire. After their 42 months of ministry, they will be killed by the beast that comes up out of the abyss. Their dead bodies will lie in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days, after which they will be resurrected and taken up to heaven. Scripture declares that the ministry of the two prophetic witnesses has so frustrated the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations, the earth dwellers, that they refuse to allow the dead bodies of the witnesses to be buried. The earth dwellers rejoice and party at the death of the witnesses, but God sends an earthquake that destroys the tenth of the city and kills 7,000 people, which the earth dwellers recognize is in fact the work of God. The pronouncement that the second woe is past after detailing the ministry of the two prophetic witnesses and their subsequent death and resurrection is critical to understanding the timeline of the book of Revelation. It establishes a very important chronological clue. The death of the two prophetic witnesses coincides with the end of God's special work among the Gentiles, the mystery of God. With his work finished among Gentiles and Jews, God can reclaim the earth for the temporal reign of his son, which is imminent once God finishes disposing of Antichrist and his beast-marked worshipers. This is where the second half of the book of the Revelation about Jesus Christ begins in chapter 12. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode.